Eric, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I've been following your work for so long. Um, I'm ready to get faster, but I'm ready also to get schooled in so many ways. Um, well, thanks yeah. for having me, Rocco. I, I, I will say that I'm turning 53 this year and I've gotten back into doing all the stuff that I recommend, like all the drills and all the runs and all that. And I'm actually getting way better. Like it's, it's funny when you follow your own advice. It's terrible. It's rare, actually, because you do what you preach, right? And I saw some of your videos and uh, actually going back to the basics, as you always say, which is incredible because people think that as we age, we need to start uh, forgetting about speed um, and training. And I would love your, your take on that as well. Yeah, it's I mean, uh, uh, let's be honest, like when you get older, yes, things are tougher you, you get sort of this like dad bod thing going on um you have to be careful with what you eat you don't sleep as well and you're sore most of the time like if i don't exercise i get stiff and sore if i exercise i get stiff and sore so <laughs> there's no way yeah. out yeah yeah so so i've been trying to push the envelope you know knowing what i know and it's it's definitely better to have a planned I'm going to say safe exercise program where everything's progressive and you do get, you know, you do get better and you're not, your risk, you know, is, is relatively low. Like I'll still do jumps and plyometrics and, and, and sprints obviously, but I'm, I'm very careful with, you know, maybe bringing the intensity down or making sure that the hurdle I'm jumping over is shorter, you know, or something, or I'm on a softer surface or whatever, but I, I, you know, over, you know, the years trial and error has, has made me a little smarter about these things, but I do have to push it. You do have to push yourself. There's another way you can find your uh, biological capacity. If I say that, how are you, you're going to optimize it, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think as a society, um, we're always seeking comfort, right? We're always, you know, trying to get to that place where like, well, you know, I did all that stuff when I was young, I don't have to do it anymore. And then you'll notice your health just declines, right? So you do have to force that adaptation. 100%. And just to step back a bit, tell me more about you. Um, I, I, you know, I, I was more of a athletics track and field athlete. You know, I played multi-sports as a kid. You know, I was busy all the time, which is what you want and which I'm, what I'm trying to do with my children. Um, but, you know, at some point I specialized and, and when I went to university, I competed in track and field, mostly sprints and jumping events. Um, so that's, that's where I feel comfortable. I have coached some people over longer distances and had some success. I just don't get the same sort of pleasure out of that. That's a little different. It's a different speed, right? Uh -huh. But I would say that track and field is where I draw a lot of my knowledge and, and the mentors that I've had obviously have had uh, a lot of influence in track and field and had success. So it's not a good, it's not a bad base or foundation to start from if you're working with other sports and other athletes. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's where I started. And then eventually the one thing you'll find with track and field doesn't pay quite as much um, as some of these other sports. Right. So there people are saying like, well, why doesn't Tyree kill from the chiefs, go run in the Olympics. Well, the Olympics don't pay what the Kansas city chiefs and the NFL pay. So there's a reason for that. And so I fully support, you know, players who want to play, play in the premier league or 
you know, um, you know, and, and make their money and, and capitalize off of that. So, but we, we can still make them faster. Oh, hundred percent. And well, we've seen a lot of NFL players that you can see that, uh, 80 dash and you're like, Jesus Christ, what would they do if they weren't track? Right. But yeah. And they didn't have, uh, you know, 240 pounds on them. Right. So imagine that. Yeah. So C- clearing well, it's, it's interesting, but I, you know, follow the money. A hundred percent. I'll trace them down. Tell me just creek, you know, clear those red herrings out there with the fundamentals of speed. Um, how we can get stronger if it's universal, like what things are universal for every sport. Cause for example, I love power sports and I always tell people when we do, for example, training for deadlifts for a competition or something, let's start increasing the patterns, clearing the movement, making it as good as it can get. And then let's work speed. And then everything, you know, goes really bad. And then we're taking weight away. Let's do it again. Let's do it faster because speed can create a lot of strength. Yes. Yes. And one of the things that I focus on a lot is, you know, from Charlie Francis, I do a short to long approach, which is starting with shorter distances and then slowly expanding uh, the distance and uh, the velocity and in, in just happens. Right. So I spent a lot of time on starting, uh, starting position, the mechanics of starting, getting the arms and the upper body involved head position. And we work on early acceleration a lot, especially with team sport, because that's the essence of their game is short sprints. And I've you know been working with the Toronto Maple Leafs and we do dry land sprinting for ice hockey, too, because the initial four or five steps are sprinting steps. Bring it home, Maple Leafs. Come on. It's been 100 plus years. <laughs> this Come is on. the year. Yeah, this is the year. Um, <clears throat> we'll see. Um, but but yeah, I would say. I focus a lot on repetitive short sprints, like short five yards, 10 yards, 10 meters, um, because that's, that's where I want to build capacity and expertise. And, um, you know, we, we do some resisted work as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I like it because it slows things down a bit and you can find your posture better and work on those, uh, mechanics. And the other thing is if I, and people will say stuff like, well, you know, why are you starting that way in soccer? Uh, you know, they're upright and they don't start that way. Well, the reason I do it optimally is I want to program the muscles to activate in starting in a certain way, the certain sequence, a certain angle. And then when people play, they will gravitate towards that position to get, you know, the optimal acceleration. So if you keep working that through repetition and repetition three times per week, you know, 300 yards of short sprints, like 30 reps of sprints per session, it's going to add up and it's going to have a muscle memory around how you accelerate the capacity you have to repeat that. So that's what I've been working on a lot uh, with the athletes that I work with is, yes, we work on max velocity. Yes, we work on longer sprints, but we're always developing and building um, a staple of our foundation of short sprints that they can repeat all day long. How would that change in a matter of volume and intensity? How would you actually create that strategy regarding, well, we're not going to talk about a 53-year-old. Let's say we, someone's starting and wants to get fast. Let's say we're doing an assessment. Would, would like anatomy play a role? Would be something as a coach, as you see that, we would say, okay, you're not meant to be uh you're a St. Bernard's and you're trying to be a Greyhound, but you cannot be because your anatomy won't allow, 
or is it something more? Yeah, I think you're you're analyzing everybody on a case by case basis and going, okay, well, what are the things that we need to work on? And if you're working with somebody who's out of shape or somebody who's younger, um, you're going to try to develop basic strength, right? So, and that's where the drills come in, where you do all the drills upright. You can work on range of motion of limbs. You can work on postural strength and integrity. You can work on ground contact integrity just with the upright drills. So when I'm working with somebody early, whether it's rehabilitation or performance, we spend a lot of time in the drills because it does build strength in those areas that I want it. Um, and you get the repetition of modeling technique, right? And a lot of people will poo-poo drills and say they don't make people faster. And like, yes, they don't directly make them faster, but it, it creates a conversation and context for when they do run you know, when you say, okay, remember in the drill, we had your hand position here, um, you're looking here, um, you're, you know, dorsiflexing the foot, you know, in late swing before you hit the ground. And so it, it makes it easier for you to start cueing in actual sprinting scenarios once you've gone through all of this process of developing it in a drill context. So I think that's where I start. I assess people, you know, obviously, you know, people say, well, how do you assess people? I say, well, I get them to warm up, do their warm up, and then I just watch them. Like, okay, do a couple of accelerations, right? And you'll see stuff. And after a while, you just keep seeing the same thing because you get the soccer player or you get the basketball player and they're all training the same. So you see the same errors all the time in terms of overstriding or landing on their heel. Um, and and it, it's, it's pretty generic after a while, but certainly you have to you know, assess them doing what they normally do. And then you say, okay, here, I don't even say like, I don't even say like, these are all the things that are bad. I just say, okay, great. Thanks for that. That's awesome. And then I bring them into my process, which is starting with upright drills and cueing them in ways that will impact ultimately their, their sprint performance. So regarding the, the aspect of, you said you do, I do the assessment and then you, you've done the assessment. And now you have to actually see how many sessions you can add because we need to add resistance training, correct? In order to actually increase our speed. Do you think that it's the same applies at training fast or training slow? The same thing with the weights or it doesn't have to do because we train adaptations, right? And if how, how would that impact the performance of a, like say, track and field or someone that wants to become faster? Um. You know, like, it's interesting because a lot of people think strength mean let's go in the weight room, but there's so many things you can do, you know, in an outdoor setting uh, on the track or on a field, like uh, I'll incorporate, like I said, resistance bands for the drills, because, you know, it, it simulates us either going up a hill and you get more of a, you know, a more of an extension response out of the hip. Um, we use medicine balls a lot for throws and doing our drills with the med ball overhead and, and doing all types of throws. So I think I will, you know, I, I and I'm not, not a weight room guy. Like I, I, my room here is full of weights. I have like, you know, 800 pounds of weights here. So I, I understand the value of weights, but from a logistical point of view, it's easier for me to address the fundamental strength issues in a track setting or, you know, going through the drills and it specifically addresses them. Right. So it's the specific core strength required to hold sprint position. It's not just doing planking over on the side. So I, I like to exhaust that first. And then when they get to a certain point, okay, let's look at your Thanks weight training program. Yeah. And let's, let's go in the gym 
you know, we can, we can, we're doing really well outside here. Let's add value by squatting or pulling something or, you know, doing some sort of single leg exercise. Um, and I think that's, that's where a lot of people go wrong is that they think, well, let's solve it in the gym first. It's like, no, 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 we don't have to go there yet. Right. It's, but a lot of people feel very comfortable in a gym setting and they don't feel as comfortable outside teaching movement. And so I, I'm trying to push people to do more stuff outside and, you know, obviously during COVID it, it was a lot easier. Well, um, yeah. Get, yeah. Cause you could be, yeah. I saw a lot of your videos actually, uh, uh, outside and was incredible the how inventive you were with specific yeah videos. and and you know um you know we just need a bit of sunscreen and that's it but i i think uh there we have to start looking at um, solutions that are kind of integrated with the movement we're going to carry out ultimately right so um and and that's not to say i don't still do olympic lifting or or you know heavy lifts and try to get my bench press up so my pecs look better but, um, you know, I'm really trying to solve most of it in a running setting outdoors. You said about fundamentals. Can we dissect that a bit? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, whenever I work with athletes, um, for whatever reason, they have similar errors, right? So a lot of people think if they tuck their head and, you know, they'll end up curling their spine, right? And they think, you know, okay, that keep your head down. And that's like drive phase. And you'll see that a lot. And it does affect their output abilities in terms of getting to extension, um, over striding and, and just something as simple as where they're looking can heavily impact the, their, their acceleration abilities, right. And how it sets them up. And also, you know, this all goes back to injuries and injury prevention as well. So if you set up their posture, the fundamental posture right from the outset and you say, this is how we do it. This is where I want you to look. It solves a lot of problems that you don't have to deal with later. Right. And, and, you know, head position. So the two things I work on would be head position and firing the arms powerfully to the front side of the body. And if they do that, the body lines up and it straightens out. And, you know, some people say, Oh, they got poor core stability. So we got to work on that. That's why they're not in line. It's like, no, no, no. It's That's simple biomechanic. Yeah, it's simple biomechanics, right? So, you know, you don't see cheetahs and thoroughbred horses doing planks and single leg squats on BOSU balls, right? So, you know, there is a, a natural intuitive mechanic that we, we try to achieve through coaching, right? And, and if you get those fundamentals down, you know, it is like riding a bicycle, right? You do retain it because I think there's this path of least resistance to the best solution. Yeah. Once you, once you hardwire it, right. Um, you know, people aren't going to invent shitty ways to move after that, after you've shown them, you know, the light. So I think, um, you know, addressing those things right away is so important from a fundamental point of view. And, and if it's a drill, if it's a certain cue, if you have to add resistance to get it great, do what you have to do, but get that result as soon as possible so that the athlete knows, okay. And then as part of this whole thing, you know, we're using like, you know, our phone to capture it and send it to them and say like, this is what you look like. This is what, what are you feeling? Is it the same? Like, are you, are you connecting with what I want you to do and visualizing it the same way? Because if, if, if you can capture that and they understand what they have to do, you won't have a problem with it ever again. So you want efficiency, right? Especially in running. Like, yeah. Uh, 
yeah. <laughs> as, yeah. as with everything. So, yeah, because that, again, if you hardwire that, then, you know, it, it just takes care of itself, right? Like, I'll work with uh, NFL players who are good athletes or good NFL athletes, right? And then when you when you talk to them about running and how they learn, like, well, nobody really taught me. I was just fast. Right there, you're like, okay, that's good. Like, you're talented, but they are lacking the efficiency that you're talking about. So could they be even better? Could they be uh, more resilient because they're moving more efficiently? Um, you know, and some of them are just happy to be in the NFL and making lots of money. Uh, others want to get better. Like, you know, the Tom Brady example is somebody who wanted to get better every year and find better ways to do things. What right? a career, so, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, he had a few injuries, but he didn't miss many games. Somebody fell into his leg. Um, so, and they created a rule around that. So I think, you know, we have to start looking at these people who are, um, you know, obviously successful and have longevity and go, okay, what are they doing? That's making them, you know, some of the top performers. And it is going to be the fundamental stuff you're talking about. That's incredible. Cause I think that uh, my next question would be how we can incorporate speed into fitness. <laughs> cause it, like just general population fitness. Yes. Cause it's, it's, you said about the gym and you said before that, you know, people feel more comfortable uh, in that kind of um, environment, but I think we need to bring that into uh, general pop because a, a lot of coaches uh, send me when I told them, you know, I'm going to have a, a podcast. Everybody was like, how can we incorporate speed into fitness? Again, um, going back to a lot of those drills are a very good way. I worked in a physical therapy clinic for the last five years and I, I would gravitate to what I was good at, which was teaching drills, um, speed drills to people who had, you know, knee rehab uh, cases, ACLs, people who had back pain, people who had shoulder injuries, a couple of brain injury patients, right? And we use speed drills to help build back, you know, neuroplasticity and, and just get them moving and, and get their brains firing, right? So a lot of the other physical therapists who had people on tables and were working on them in their way, were kind of looking at me like, what the hell are you doing, right? Like, that's weird. That, that, that's, that's foreign to us. So certainly there's a, there's a void uh, in general population rehab and fitness that doesn't incorporate this stuff because one, they don't know, right? And so if you don't know anything about it, then you're, you're going to stay away from it and you're probably going to think it's dangerous. But as soon as you know how to you know, incorporate this stuff progressively with general population, um, then it becomes a lot easier to get buy-in. And people, when they start running fast, like even at my age, um, when I do a full out sprint, I'll think, wow, I'm really moving. That feels good. It feels, you know, liberating to run. And then of course I see the video and I look like an old guy running, but in my head, I think I'm like, you know, pretty fast. So, or I'll run against my 17 year old son. And I said, it, it feels like, uh, when he takes off and he, you know, goes ahead of me, it feels like somebody's pulling me backwards, like with a tractor <laughs> beam. Um, but, you know, I'm still running better than most 53 year olds. So, I bet. Um, but, but yeah, I think, you know, if you don't do it, then, you know, and, and you start with the drills and build them up, build up their strength. And then you get them to doing short accelerations, right? Five or six steps. Like we do this uh, exercise, like it's 10 meters uh, times 10, 
we just go back and forth with 10 meter accelerations is at six or seven strides. Um, and it's very hard to get hurt doing short accelerations. Usually when people pull a hamstring, it's a little further out. Um, but I found there's a certain level or deficit of, of ability to run. Like I've worked with actors and they'll have a running scene and I'm just like, oh my goodness, that's, that's horrible, right? But <laughs> then you think hurt. about it, you think, well, I'm going to make him an efficient runner, but then it might ruin the scene because most people are pretty horrible at running. So, you know, you know, you want to make it look accurate. Um, and then when I was working at the physical therapy clinic, the amount of people who came in and said, uh, I avulsed my, um, you know, patellar tendon or, or, or something like that. And, oh, how'd you do it? Oh, I was running for the bus or I was running after my dog or my children. So basic activities that they couldn't carry out safely because they got away from running and sprinting. Right. And yeah. there's, there's going to be a, a time when you might have to run away from something or run to something and guess what? You're not prepared. And that would be a good segue for my uh, next question. Actually, what's the most common? Cause that's how we started. How was the most common injury uh, that you actually face in speed or in speed training? It probably would be a hamstring. I would say, um, especially for the ill prepared um, because you know, it, 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 you get that rapid stretch, especially when you come through the, the swing phase into late swing phase before you hit the ground and people will tend to overstride stretches the hamstring really quickly. And then it has to shorten quickly to contract when you hit the ground and that's when the injury occurs. So, you know, the cure is going to be doing the, uh, activity properly and progressively, right? So teaching them good mechanics, but I would say hamstrings is probably the first one that I, I would be concerned about. Uh, other than that, there's some people who are ill-prepared will have calf injuries, a lot of little calf strains, um, maybe related to Achilles tendonitis or foot or, or something like that. So lower leg. So that's why the drills are really good to progressively, like in the upright position, work on ground contact integrity and, and build elasticity. So that's why, you know, as soon as you start sprinting like this, you put a lot of stress on that calf and Achilles. Um, so you want to make sure you start upright. Um, and then other, other sprinting related injuries, like you mentioned, sometimes it could be quad, quad or hip flexor. Um, and a lot of that may happen. Yeah. Because people push too hard backside and then it stretches the quad and hip flexor when they try to pull the knee through. Um, so those are probably the three things that I'm most concerned about, you know, less so. In ice hockey, there's a lot of adductor strains, but, um, you know, I think it, it, for the most part, I solve all of these things with teaching proper running, right? If somebody pulls a hamstring, first thing we do is, well, let's teach you how to run properly now, right? And that's, that's how I had success with uh, athletes, pro collegiate athletes was they might not have listened to me before, but once they got injured and we solved it by teaching them how to run, it was one-on-one, -on -one, I teach you how to run properly now, now you, you got their attention then it worked out really well. And, and they, they saw the light after that. It's pretty interesting. I was saying about stride because no one actually does that. Um, and when I told you that I had to consult that kind of, um, I cannot say the team, but they had like six uh, Premier League. They had like uh, six hamstring tears. Yes. And I was like, it's not, it's like one is an accident, maybe two. Um, after that, there's, uh, you know, there's correlation means causation sometimes. And, it was mostly the that quad dominant because they run. So we don't have to train the hamstrings. 
and it's all about training the quads. And that actually was a lot of volume on the quads, a lot of kicking, which actually had, which I expect the opposite, but there was no hamstring, there was nothing. So any test you do to prevent, uh, as people like to hear, um, I usually say it's the thorough assessment because yes, it depends on the on the person. But what's your your take? Um, I will do. I, I will again fall back to my expertise, which is okay. Let's let's get them to do a running test. You know, whether it's like a thirty meter sprint, um, and let's evaluate them more so uh, subjectively in terms of like what they look like and video them see where they're contacting the ground, see their hip position relative to the ground. Are they compressing too much when they hit the ground? Is there a lot of knee flexion on ground contact? Um, are they landing too far in front of their center of mass? Are they pushing back too far behind them, their bodies as well? Um, and that's going to be uh, the biggest indicator for me is like, how do they look when they're running? How is their upper body? Is their upper body contributing or is it tight? Is it constraining things? Um, and, and that'll be my biggest assessment. And, you know, I found that, you know, you can do strength tests and then there's obviously a lot of Nordic hamstring and Nord board and this and that, but, you know, just from my experience, it hasn't been indicative or predictive of, of anything. Like, you know, we've had people who are very strong at doing all those exercises, those eccentric exercises, and they still pull their hamstring because it's at a different, it's at a much higher velocity yeah. And the mechanics are different. So, you know, I go to the source. If, if, if they're hurting themselves when they run, maybe there's something wrong with their running, right? You know, if they hurt themselves doing a Nordic hamstring curl, well, let's look at how they're doing the Nordic hamstring curl. But, you know, you're not, you know, trying to mix and match things and, and predict things, you know, with a very different exercise. So, you know, I, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying don't do that but just make sure you have a very comprehensive process around all of this stuff. And you have, you know, different sources, uh, you know, different tests to pull from and you get a big picture 360 look at everything. And I think a lot of people just focus like, Nope, we're just going to look at GPS and see if they're, yeah. you know, what their load is. Right. And it's like, Oh geez. Like, and the GPS companies just tell me, you know, tell me how many times they're in a high velocity zone. Uh, what's their, what's their max velocity. And then I compare that against what they've trained in. So if somebody is running at 20 miles per hour, but we train at 24 miles per hour, I don't have a concern, but if somebody's running 20, 20 miles per hour, and they usually train and practice at 18 miles per hour, or 16, then I have a concern, right? We don't have a buffer um, or a speed reserve. So, you know, stuff like that, I think is, you know, is overlooked. It's really funny that you actually said about, you know, we're checking GPS and we're checking all the data, the gadgets, because we forgot that this actually observes and this analyzes, and we actually should turn them off and we're becoming more of a, oh, I saw this on the camera, I saw that. What's, what, what's your opinion? Yes, they're a tool in a toolbox, but don't make the toolbox. Yeah, like when I go and train my athletes, I will, I will collect a lot of video. And so that means now I'm occupied. I should, you know, if, if I was rich, I would just pay somebody to come shoot the video for me and I would just coach, but I'm not. So, um, start playing in NFL. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so now I have to balance off. Like I want to collect the data, the video, but I want to observe the athlete in person because there's all these different things that you can see in person that you can't necessarily capture with the video. 
And some of it will be, you know, you can in real time look at, you know, how much tension they have in their system. And um, the other thing you could do is you could listen a little more at their ground contacts and what the quality is. Is it slapping or is it crisp and light and quick, right? So those are all things that you have to kind of free up your senses for. And if you're, if you're filming, it's very tough to do all of that, right? So I have to, like I said, maybe one rep I'll film, the next rep I'll just watch. Um, and I, I want to make sure I capture everything. And, um, but it's very tough to do. It's very, I mean, I've been doing this now for over 30 years and I still feel like I could be better at this or that or how I run the session or the jokes that I crack during the session, right? <laughs> I, I got to improve all of these things. Um, but I think that's, that's just how you have to operate. Like there's always something better that you can do. A hundred percent. And that's kind of, that's, that's true coaching. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Trying to find that kind of uh, perfection um, and in, in the art. Um, if you want to clear some misconceptions about speed training, which would they be? I, I think there was a lot of debate over like, do you have to run max velocity or max hundred percent to get better. And uh, you do on occasion, right? I think you have to pick your spots. And so with speed training, I I'm, I'm really uh, happy with sometimes just saying, we're going to run everything at 95 or 90%. Um, I want you to run it a little easier and focus on relaxation and technical execution. And then let's accumulate a lot of volume at that intensity where I know that we've solidified some technical issues and then, okay. In track and field, it's easy because you put somebody into a race, a competition, which you know is going to be a hundred percent effort, right? Yeah. Practice. It's never quite the same. And so you have, you know, when you're a track coach, you have to schedule track meets and put them in certain events and, you know, hopefully you have good weather and all that. Um, if you're a strength and conditioning coach and you're working with the team, you have to set up scenarios where, okay, today's the day where we're going to try to run fast and get some intensity. But that's certainly not every session because as soon as you put them, you know, say you take football players, soccer players, and you put them into a competitive sprinting situation, you will see technique go out the window a lot of time, right? So then you say something like, okay, let's everybody agree we're going to go at 90%. You're going to focus on yourself and whatever, right? So you have to kind of lay up and, and, and take that lesser intensity to work on technical goals oh, yeah. um, and then, you know, throw it back and okay, now we're going to race. And you're like, Oh, look, everybody held their technique together. Great. Let's get away from that for a couple of sessions. Then we'll come back to it. Right. Um, and be explicit and transparent with the athletes around that and just say, look, this is what we're doing. I want you to relax. I want you, because guess what? If they, again, if they hit 22 miles per hour in training relaxed, we know that on the field in the game, you know, they won't go that fast because there's other things going on. So now you've again worked on a very optimal technique with relaxation and they're running faster than they need to run in the game. Great. That's a win. That's what you want. Yeah. We yeah. We know they're going to be fine when it comes to competition. Right. So it's when you don't do that. And when you let a lot of these errors come in and they're straining and, you know, it's only going to create bad habits that will haunt them when they get back to competition. And it's hard to clear those out. It's impossible. It's impossible. You know, it's like 
it's like trying to like i remember teaching kids how to do power cleans and they want to put more weight on it's like i need more weight and then my and their technique can't be improved with heavy weight It, it just can't like they will just gravitate towards you know emotional solutions right um where you like yeah you lighten up the weight okay let's work on you know posture or whatever right so you learn you learn the hard way oh yeah and and that's what we said before like i i love that when i um, teach a deadlift and you just say okay it's uh, 60 kilos let's say you can do 180 and then let's, let's add some speed and you see on the the video is like uh this is not a deadlift <laughs> Just because we, it's lighter, you treat it like it's 180 or 200 or 300, whatever that is. Um, but it's it's hard. And if thumb, you know, bad habit is in, it takes a while to actually. Uh, oh yeah. Clear that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're always better to underestimate and and solidify some some good technique and then live to fight another day, right? 100. Um, percent But I, I, you know, there there's a lot of I think there's a lot of impatience in the industry. Um, and, and, you know, if we do things right and we repeat it over the next six months, we're going to be very, very good in six months. But if we try to get everything solved right now, it's just going to be a mess. I was uh, uh, chatting to Andy Bolton. He, uh, he's the first guy actually he deadlifted a thousand pounds and he turns around and was like, success is boring. Put the work in and out, same thing. Try to be as crisp as you can and you will get there. If you yes. want it tomorrow, it's not going to happen. Yeah, you you have to, you almost have to put your brain somewhere else, right? And you just have to go through it. And, uh, you know, and it's kind of the same with rehab too, right? Like I had some issues with my knee and I wasn't patient and I didn't follow my own advice. And then over time, I started to follow my own advice and just put it in, put in the work daily. And then it resolved itself, right? But I just lack that patience. Um, and, and it's always something that we need to work on. A hundred percent. And us as well, because it's exactly what we say, right? Um, regarding shoes, turf, uh, um, um, material overall, what's your, your take? So let's say natural with turf, uh, barefoot and non-barefoot. Um, our reports and stuff like that. So let's start about turf and all that. Is that something you you think there's a difference or not? Or we go back to technique? Yeah, I, I think it's, um, I mean, it's like anything. It's important to have exposures to multiple different scenarios, right? So uh, if you're starting out, like we used to do a lot of our plyometrics on grass and we would do it in, in pretty light duty shoes and, and try to strengthen our feet. We even did some stuff in sand, some jumps in place on sand um, to strengthen the feet. And we did it bare feet as track athletes. And then we just made that progression to harder surf- surfaces. Once the strength was in place, then you can start working at higher velocities and building elastic qualities, right? And that always seemed to be um, part of it. There's that periodization of surfaces and shoes that I, I highlight in all of my, uh, my courses, my running mechanics courses. Um, and I say, this is a, this is a consideration. And I was in New York city in October and I was asked, and there's mostly physical therapists at my course. And I said, how many of you guys have ever considered the surface you're working on and the shoes that you're using and all that. And a lot of them said, I never, like, I just, we just did the drills on whatever surface was in the clinic. Right. 
So I said, okay, well, you can start on the softer surface and go slower and barefoot. And then eventually let's start working on the stiffer surfaces because if a lot of facilities that I do my courses in, they just have turf. Like that's the thing, like, let's get the green turf in there. It looks like grass, you know, so, but there's no hard surfaces to work on because they're afraid of, I don't know, hard surfaces. So in one course we had an athlete who was, uh, had a hamstring strain three days previously as a basketball player. And so we're doing the drills on the turf and it just looks sloppy. Right. And, uh, he's African-American and, uh, we moved him onto a stiffer surface and then he just started looking better. Like he was elastic and he, we were forcing him to be elastic. And by the end of the session, his hamstring pain was gone because we made him more elastic. Right. When somebody was just doing conditioning runs with him before and slogging through it, and his body was not responding because he's elastic. He's not, you know, he's not plowing fields. Um, so I think sometimes you have to, you know, factor in what surface they're on and make sure that they're, they're behaving the way they should. If they're elastic, they should be elastic. Um, if you want them to be stronger, then obviously a softer surfaces might work or work on proprioception. proprioception. Yes, the ankle, ankle sprains put them on a softer, more compliant surface and strengthen that ankle. Right. So I think that that's huge in everything that I think about in terms of the surfaces that we work on, like we're going to go to the track later today and all my football players are going to be in track spikes on a track surface because the rest of the year they're on turf. Right. And it's more compliant and I want them to be responsive. How so. important is that? Cause everything uh, plays a role and especially uh, minor details, which are actually created, which they're not minor details because as you said, now the, that patient, that athlete was in pain and look what happened just by changing the surface, not the, the, the not the training, just the surface. Yes. Yes. So, um, and that just comes with experience, right? You, if you go through and you, you, you observe different scenarios and different athletes, you, you start to get thinking, okay, I think the worst thing that can happen is people don't get results or they don't improve. And they just kind of keep doing the same thing over and over again. Come on, like, let's improve it. But you got to change things up and you've got to look at alternative solutions. Well, we say don't change something if it works, just change if it doesn't. It's, yeah. Uh, as as yeah. easy as that. And, 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 if you're, and if it's working and you want, and you think I got to change something, it's just one variable that you can adjust a little bit and just see how it changes everything. But then, you know, it's like, oh, uh, I, you know, uh, I want to improve my performance. So I'm going to take five supplements at once. Okay, well, which one's working? Yeah. I don't know, right? They're all working, right? So, yeah, the more it's you, crazy. you spread it, you have no idea what's going on. No. And you need no. to be specific, especially when you want a specific outcome, you need specific data and specific variables. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the, the scientific method does actually work, right? You know, um, so... <laughs> And, you know, obviously now today in today's environment, like, you know, everybody's poo-pooing science and this and just coming up with opinion is like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's come back to common sense. Right. And that, that's, that's what, what I try to make sure it drives everything that I do is like, there's a cause and effect of everything we do. So just, you know, be aware. From, from the year of Charles Francis up till now regarding speed, do you think anything has actually changed? or with just sugarcoating it? Um, I think there's gotta be, you know, the thing that I learned from him is you have to have certain things in place and then everything else is kind of peripheral to it. It doesn't, it sort of doesn't matter, right? So if you wanna get faster, 
you have to run you have to run you have to sprint and you have to sprint a certain distance or a certain segment and and the, the volume has to be at a certain level so that has to be in place now some people might do more plyometrics to support that some people might do more weightlifting to support that and it may depend on body type or limb length or muscle fiber type um, or climate like maybe if you're in a colder climate you got to be indoors more so maybe you're opting to do more strength training and plyometrics than longer sprints and so i think certain certain ingredients and, and volumes have to be in place and then you know whether or not somebody is doing yoga or it's all just window dressing in my opinion i'm not saying it's bad i'm not saying it's good i'm saying okay does the person like it you know do you feel better when you do it okay great we've got our sort of peripheral placebo things that surround this basic training um, and you'll see that in pro sports a lot where you know personal trainers uh, just get the athletes to do what they think is cool or what they like but they're missing those basic ingredients, right? And that's the big thing I see in the NFL is like, yeah, somebody comes in the NFL and they're like dynamic and great and fast. And then they get away from what they did in college or high school, which would probably be the basic fundamental stuff. And now they're going to the beach to do agility drills and, you know, TikTok videos. And uh, really helpful. And they get in- yeah, yeah. <laughs> they get injured, they get slow and people wonder what happened, right? Oh, he's just getting older. It's like, no, 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 no. He got away from the stuff that, really mattered um i'm not and you can still do all that other fun stuff but make sure you have a core sort of uh, you know group of exercises that you constantly do to maintain those qualities so you have to bullet point them what would be the the fundamentals for let's say the keys for mastery in speed training um it's going to be again it's going to be covering off your acceleration basics you know your acceleration Um, and the technique around acceleration and transitioning to max velocity, then it's going to be ground contact quality. So the sprinting has to be part of that, but also like your plyometrics and just building that lower leg integrity and stiffness. So the stiffness is really important. And then basic strength. So yes, do stuff in the weight room. Do you, know, do you want to squat? You want to pull from the floor? Um, does it matter? I don't know. Like, you know, we used to keep it pretty simple, like pull something, press something and squat something or whatever. Right. So you pull from the floor, you bench press, and then you squat. Um, do you need to do all these single arm, single leg? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm still not convinced. Um, because if I'm doing the, the, the bounding and I'm doing the sprinting and I'm doing the stuff outdoors, I am covering off single leg requirements, right. To, to multi-planner as well. Sorry. Multi-planner. Regarding- yes, obviously, like you're, you're doing the multi-directional stuff and that's it- a little further along the continuum, but certainly you're doing the multi-directional stuff, the eccentric stuff, the deceleration, right? As we're seeing from- Because there were schools in the past that were saying, I'm running this way. What do I have to do stuff in different yeah. directions? Yeah, I mean, if you're just a track athlete, just go straight ahead, obviously. But if you're if you're changing direction, certainly, right? Now, now so where it gets interesting is like, how much of that is done in sport practice versus like strength and conditioning. And so there has to be some sort of balance there. And I always kept my strength and conditioning stuff 
uh, pretty basic and fundamental. And, and I didn't try to duplicate the sport too much because I knew they would go to practice and they would do that. So you, you want to have like almost what I call like a bridging concept of let's make sure that they can handle the lateral force requirements and the eccentric requirements. So when they go do their sport specific stuff, they're protected and they're, they're better. Now, do I have them, you know, sprint with a hockey stick or, you know, hold a football every run or no, I don't do that. But certainly we, we, we know what, what multi, um, multi-directional components we have to cover. Um, and then there's a speed component and then there's a work capacity component, right? So we'll do a lot of shuttles to just build work capacity around that, like even in an aerobic sense. Um, so I think, yeah, you, you certainly have to have all of those things figured out linear speed and accelerations, power and eccentric control strength, um, multi-directional, and then obviously your aerobic energy system has to be very, very good as well for any sport. I don't care who, you know, what you're talking about. You can't be so ultra specific that you ignore those things. Exactly. Um, you said about seminars and I need to know more about what the workshops you actually do, uh, where people can find you and, uh, if we're going to have you in Europe soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I started them off the running mechanics professional so if you go to runningmechanics.com, you'll see the courses that I offer and I'm working on a periodization and planning course right now, but I have a, a sort of the running mechanics fundamental course, the level one course, and I have a running mechanics uh, level two, which is a, I call it level two med, but it is more of a rehabilitation and return to play course around running and, 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 and you know, we cover hamstring and, and ACL and sounds really interesting. Yeah. So those are, those have been very successful in person. Obviously I haven't done as many of them in the last few years, but uh, I'm hopefully going to get back into the in-person a little more, but they, I have converted those two courses to virtual and I'll have a planning course hopefully done in the next few months. Um, and I, I, I think I, I kind of like the virtual because it allows me to pack in 12 hours of content into a course that people can kind of watch a lot at their own pace. Whereas if I go and I do a weekend, it's very dense in terms of the amount of information. And then you know, give people notes, but a lot of people will forget it because it's just so intense for that, those two days. Um, so now I've, I've kind of hybridized things too. So people come to the in-person course and then if they want to buy the virtual one, I'll give it to them for like dirt cheap because they've already paid for the full mm -hmm. course. And now they have it for the rest of their life or until you know, my platform still exists but they can review it at any time and, and go through. And, and so I like the idea of having this sort of hybrid in-person digital virtual course uh, platform. I, I just think it's, it, it, it gives people much more, you know, value, I guess. So hopefully I can, I can get out to meet you Looking and we can do an in-person course or, or a weekend of in-person courses. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. I really, I really like how you actually uh, keep everything, bs free uh you keep things simple and um it's really important that uh you keeping I, I love when you say always about posture and how that plays a role especially because a lot of people say posture doesn't play a role and i say it a lot in rehab or with my patients that you know they or athletes that said oh you know it doesn't matter and i was like that's really weird and i loved exactly that you always say that especially everything everything plays a role and I'm so looking to forward to uh, having you for a workshop and actually learning from you. Yeah. And it, it, you know, and I hope that 
you know, when you see the information, it, it just makes sense. Like, that's what I want it to do. It's like, you know, oh, if this is the problem. This is how we fix it. This is the language we use. And, um, I, you know, for the most part, everybody that's taken the course has had very good success in, you know, like if we do Saturday, Sunday, some people will go and train people on Monday and say like, yeah, it worked. It worked for my, my nine-year-old client. It worked for my pro athlete and it worked for my 70 year old, uh, recreational, whatever triathlete. So I, I think that's the, the kind of reach that I'm looking for. Back to basics. <laughs> yeah. It's so we're, the world is so complicated and, and I'm trying to, I'm, I'm that protesting against that. A hundred percent. Derek, thank you so much for your time. Um, thanks for having me Rocco it's a pleasure and I'm looking forward to seeing you uh, in vivo soon yes let's let's please keep in touch and I hope to see you uh, as well for sure thank you so much take care